At sunset, the people brought Jesus, all who had various kinds of sickness, and laying His hands on each one, He healed them. Moreover, demons came out of many people, shouting, You are the Son of God. But He rebuked them, and He would not allow them to speak, because they knew He was the Messiah. At daybreak, Jesus went out to a solitary place. The people were looking for Him, and when they came to where He was, they tried to keep Him from leaving. Further on, yet the news about Him, Jesus, spread all the more. So the crowds of people came to hear Him and to be healed of their sickness. But Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. And in one of those days, Jesus went out to a mountainside to pray. He spent the night praying to God. When morning came, he called his disciples to him, and he chose 12 of them whom he also designated apostles. Let's pray together. God, you are a gracious God, a kind God. A loving God, a God who is with us, a God who has never left us, a God who has brought the Word, a God who has brought presence amongst us. We praise you for that. We praise you for being a God who shows us the way, who not only teaches but demonstrates, who not only speaks but acts. And God, as we spend a few moments here in this place at this time, Father Marriers, May our hearts be open to you. May your word speak loudly. May your word from your holy scriptures dwell deep within us. Bless this time. Thank you for your son Jesus. It's in his name we pray it. And everyone says, Amen. Welcome to the Heritage Church. If you're a guest of ours this morning, uh, my name is Travis Akins. Welcome. We're so thankful to have you here this morning. Uh, this morning's scriptures, as they already have been, are on the screen behind me. They're also in the Version Bible app. If you're accustomed to going there, you can hit more events. Heritage Church of Christ will pop up right there. I want to begin this morning asking you to think just a little bit, because if I was to go through this entire cafeteria this morning, and I was to ask you to write down what is your ideal day, what is the day that you get to build look like? No strings attached, what is the day that you want, what does it look like, what's involved in that day for you? And each and every one of us would have a different kind of day. But I am guessing that at least the vast majority of us would have a day built around doing nothing. A day of laziness, or at least a day of of kind of uh, self-centeredness, if you will. A day that we can kind of do what we want, which is often to do maybe nothing that you were supposed to do, right? And so whatever that day might look like, I want us to think about what that day would look like for you. And why it is that we seemingly default to the position of not doing very much or doing very little. That the default position for us is often when we have to be productive, when we're required to be productive in our work life and our daily life, that when we have the opportunity to not be productive, we choose not to be. 
And let's build this out just a little bit more. Because each and every one of you, outside of work life, have things to do. You have requirements, or you have duties, you have responsibilities, and some of you have chores that you're supposed to do, and that you groan or bemoan every time you have to do them, because our default position generally is to be less productive. How is your New Year's resolution going? Because this is the time of the new year where it's very hard to keep going or to stay engaged with what you said you would do 19 days ago. And so often we find ourselves heading into the end of the first month, into the second month, later into the year, forgetting exactly what those resolutions are because, I think, our default position is often to fall out of it to be less productive when we have opportunity to. And so we have these opportunities, we make these resolutions, we set these year goals, we do all these kinds of things, and the thing that lacks out of this is this. It's intentionality, it's sticking to it. And that requires work. Effort is required in our lives, and so when we have the opportunity to give less effort, to relax, to be a little lazy, sometimes we take it. Now this translates, I believe, wholeheartedly I believe, this translates into our spiritual lives. Now I asked you about your ideal day, I asked you about your New Year's resolutions or your goals. What if I were to ask you about your spiritual life? What would be the word, the phrase? What's the image that comes to mind? How is your spiritual life going? In other words, how is your relationship with God? How does Jesus impact you? Are you moving and acting and being intentional in your spiritual life? Or does spirituality is something that just happens when it happens? Or are we in default mode where, you know, what, I'm here right now, aren't I, Travis? Isn't this something to do with spiritual life? Aren't I here for this right now? Shouldn't I be fed in this moment for my spirit and in my relationship with God? Sure, but how is the rest of your week going? How does spirituality impact your daily decisions, your daily walk, your movement? How does your spirit grow Often, towards the beginning of the year, this New Year's time, we make um, these New Year's resolutions, these goals to be more active, to exercise more. Why do we do that? Because we're not happy with where our weight is or our appearance, right? And so we think, or we say, you know what, I'm going to be more active. I'm going to go to the gym more. I'm going to do these kinds of things. I'm going to, go, I'm going to walk. I'm going to run. I signed up for, for a half marathon or whatever it is so that you can be motivated to do these kinds of things because you're not happy with where things are. Spiritual life is the same thing. If you're not happy with your spiritual life, if you're feeling like your spirit is lacking, if there is something missing within you spiritually, then it requires intentionality and effort and exercise. And this is where I want to spend our time this morning. I want us to spend our time in with where we began in Luke chapter 4, 5, and 6, where I pointed out in Luke's gospel, where Jesus intentionally makes effort in his spiritual life. Now at this point, early on, and this is, this is where Jesus' ministry in Luke 4, 5, and 6 really begin to snowball in the early stages of his ministry because people are beginning to learn of him. 
People are beginning to know of Jesus' power over demons and over physical ailment. And very early on, people hear of this and people come to Him. And Jesus is an incredibly busy person. He's not only being with people, the leper, the blind, the forgotten. He's not only being with those who want to hear the Word of God. He's spending time building up relationships with His disciples. And Jesus' schedule, I think, even on early on in His ministry, is so busy. And yet, what we find is a pattern in Jesus' life. That no matter how busy he is, he does not forsake or step aside from his spiritual life. That spirituality is a big deal to Jesus Christ. That so much so that when Jesus makes time, he sometimes has to get up really early in the morning to go in prayer. That there's often times where in Jesus' life where he has to say, you know what, no more work for the rest of this day. I'm going to go off and be with God. There's seemingly other times where Jesus has to be up all night to pray. And I'm wondering, what does spirituality look like for us? A people that are admittedly overworked, overbooked, overstretched. A people who would do everything they can to create comfort rather than a spiritual connection with the Father. See, I think Jesus gives us a blueprint for what spiritual life looks like, even in 21st century America. He gives us this blueprint that in the midst of busyness, in the midst of good things, in the midst of the work, there is opportunity to exercise the Spirit in the presence of the Father. This is the blueprint. And a blueprint is a graphic representation of what is to be built. And Jesus is showing He is showing not only because he wants his disciples and us to see it, but he wants to nurture his own spirit. But here is what the blueprint looks like for a spiritual life. Effort, work, intentionality, time set aside. Yes, you may have to schedule your spiritual life, but Jesus is giving us the graphic representation of what it looks like to be a person who nurtures their spirits. And perhaps... Perhaps we need to stop looking at spiritual life as a step-by-step plan. Well, here's six or seven things you can do. Maybe we need to stop looking at our life as something that we need to have a concrete plan. And maybe we should look at Jesus' blueprint as someone who says, I'm in this situation, I'm in this place, I'm in this moment of life, and yet I choose. I will create, and I will make, and I will practice spiritual disciplines. Maybe it's more than just us finding out what it should be. Maybe it's us actually getting into the nitty-gritty and working it out. Now, I think this is important. And the reason I think this is important is, one, because Jesus finds it important, but also I find it to be important for us as, as individuals in our spiritual lives, but it also greatly impacts the church and the community. So let's start here. Spirituality is intentional. It is intentional. 
Jesus shows us that in Luke 4, 42, Luke 5, verse 16, and Luke 6, 12. Could have, I could have played this out even further in the Gospel of Luke. Could have started earlier in chapter 4. We could have gone out to chapter 9 and even chapter 12 and so forth into the Garden of Gethsemane. But Jesus has this intentionality. He's busy, he works, yet he makes spiritual life an intentional aspect of his life. And spirituality does not just happen. You have to work at it. We have to pay attention to it. We can't just default into what we want to do. We have to actually pay attention to what needs to be done. Now, let's think about this here, this intentionality thing for just a moment. We, we, we have talked about this particular verse in many different ways over the last couple of weeks that started this year. But Matthew chapter 7, verse 24. This is the end of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. I want to start at the end and I want to make a point about what he says in the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount. Because this is Jesus' invitation. And Jesus' invitation to those who hear him is this. If anyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. Now what Jesus is saying, this is the Travis International Version, is if you hear me, then you better do what I say, which is listening. And so Jesus is saying the wise person, the spiritually wise person, hears these words and puts them in the practice, does these things. Now, if you really want to be challenged and if you want some homework this week, then what you do is go back to Matthew chapter 5 and start there and read what everything Jesus has said up to this point. Because it is incredibly difficult things that Jesus has said, in particular Matthew chapter 5. Things like, oh, loving your enemy. Turning the other cheek, if someone quite literally slaps you, gouging out your eye, what is he talking about? And he is saying, I have said these things on purpose so that you would do them. This is the wise person. This is Jesus' definition of wisdom. Now, in the middle of all of this, the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 6, and 7, this leading up to 724, this, this invitation that everything I've said I'm serious about, wisdom is doing what I have said here today, Matthew 7, verse 24, Jesus has this right in the middle. In Matthew chapter 6, verse 1, here's what Jesus says. Be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. Okay. Now Jesus makes this point coming out of, uh, of these points that he makes in chapter 5 about his position, his place and fulfillment of the law. And here's what it looks like to live in the kingdom of God. You've heard that it was said, do not murder, but I'm telling you, don't even be angry with another person. These kinds of things. And it all comes out of not being a person who's going to show righteousness in front of others. Now, how do you do that, Jesus? What does that mean? Well, he goes on in Matthew chapter 6, verses 2 through 18, to give three examples of what it looks like to be a righteous person who doesn't practice righteousness in front of other people. Now, if we can, this is spirituality. These are the fundamental core principles of a spiritual life. Chapter 6, 2 through 18. Giving and praying and fasting. What Jesus says 
is that if you want to be a righteous person, you practice giving, praying, and fasting for your Father's pleasure only. And when that becomes a practice to which you work at, then chapter 5 may become a reality. Because when you practice giving, and when you practice praying, and when you practice fasting, then chapter 7's ideals of being someone who puts their faith or their treasures in heaven, not of earth, or someone who doesn't worry about their days, actually means something out of the place of your spirit. And righteousness is not being right, it's being in the presence of the one who is right. And you do that, Jesus, according to him, by giving, by praying, and by fasting. And Jesus seems to be very serious about this. I refer to you, Matthew chapter 7, verse 24. Whoever hears these words of mine and puts them into practice, it's like a wise person who built their house on the rock. And if you want to know what it looks like not to be a giver, to not be a prayer, to not be a faster, go on to verse 25 of Matthew chapter 7. This, I think, is very much the heart of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. That living in a kingdom life and having the vision of a kingdom life, chapter 7, all comes together, comes out of and comes through this spiritual practice. Giving, praying, and fasting. That for Jesus, this is the heart of building a solid foundation in the kingdom of God. This spiritual practice. Now I'm guessing, because if you're anything like me, at least this is my reaction, you know, two or three of those, it's pretty easy. One of those, maybe I get. One of those, I don't. And the point is this, I think, for Jesus. That spiritually practicing giving or spiritually practicing prayer or spiritually practicing fasting does something to us in the moment that affects later moments. And that our spiritual lives are actually the center of all life. And if we're not nurturing a spiritual life, then we are allowing other things to influence or sway us or push us or mold us or shape us or build us. And Jesus is saying, if you want to be built from the inside out, how about you try giving to the poor, praying to your Father, and fasting from the things you need to stay alive in this world. And if you want to take Him serious... Matthew chapter 7, verse 24. You start with giving, you start with praying, and you start with fasting. Now, as I was, as I was thinking about this, uh, this, this message this week, and I got to this point, and this was later in the week, thinking about uh, Jesus' um, call for a spiritual life out of the Sermon on the Mount, a question came to mind. In fact, the question came up in something else I was reading, but it resonated in this preparation. And the question is this. What do we want? So let's make it personal. What do you want? 
And I think the reason this question resonated with me through this, through the, uh, at the end of this week through this study is because what you want will always be the rudder for what you do. Think about it. If you want to go to Disney World, you're going to make it happen. If you want to go fishing, you're going to make it happen. If you want to move up in your corporation, you're going to do everything you can to make it happen. What you want ultimately steers us into the direction of where we want, we think we want to go. And so asking this question from a spiritual standpoint, what do we want, often determines what spiritual practices we're going to take care of or pay attention to. Going back to Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 6, and 7, in the middle there, Jesus says, Be careful not to practice your acts of righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. So what do we do, Jesus? How do we practice righteousness for the Father? You give, you pray, and you fast. Well, what is that going to do? I think Jesus is saying what that's going to do is, is going to change how you answer what do you want. What you want determines what you do. And if you start giving, if you start praying, and you start fasting, let me say this. If you start giving, praying, and fasting, even before you actually believe in giving, praying, and fasting, Jesus, and through the Spirit of God, can begin to shape what you want can change your priorities, change how you see things, change what you want more of. Because what we want is often in conflict with what God wants. So I want you to hear this. God does not want you to be comfortable. God is not calling you to be rich. God does not call you to have more and more and more. God does not call you to feel better about your situation. You see, our downside and our greatest fault may be that we want more. We want better. And if you think about it from a communal standpoint, if we all are striving for what I want or what you want or what someone else wants that you're sitting next to, then none of us are wanting what the Spirit of God is directing us and pushing us and striving for us to have as a community, let alone as an individual. If we want more, if we want best, if we want greater, if we want to move up, whatever it may be, then the Spirit of God has no place to work in us. And so again, I ask, how is your spiritual life? You don't need another podcast and you don't need another book. You need giving, praying, and fasting. Let me say that again. I don't need another podcast and I don't need another book. I need giving. I need praying. And I need to fast. And so church ought to not be what you think it ought to be. Church ought to be what the Spirit moves us to make it. 
church ought to be a sanctuary of self-denial. Church ought to be a place where we pay attention to the needs of other people, and that's the fuel that gets us to the question, what do we want? And we say, you know what? I don't care what I want. I want to yield my time, so to speak, to the Spirit of God. You know what the reason why we don't fast? Generally, this is the third one that most of us do not practice. Because we don't want to. You know why Jesus puts it into the spiritual practice? This is the trinity of spiritual practices. Giving, praying, and fasting. You know why? Because we need to practice not fulfilling everything we want. So that... Our goals are not our own. They are of the Spirit of God. They are of Jesus Christ. They are of Him alone. And so, as a church, our goal, as I've said many times, is not a building. It's a home. Church, we are a people not seeking structure. We are a people seeking the Spirit of God. What do we want? Doesn't matter what we want. Let's be a people who give, who pray, and who fast. Because here's where I want to end spirituality joins together. It is a glue, it is a bonding mechanism, spirituality practice out of. Uh, paying attention to one another through the Spirit of God joins together people. And this is where community is created. This is where church becomes different than the Lions Club. This is where church becomes different than the YMCA because together through the Spirit of God, we are joined together in something that does not exist outside of the church of Jesus Christ. Acts chapter 4, this is the earliest of the church. Peter and John, they were in prison. They had to defend themselves. They preached a wonderful sermon in the beginning of Acts chapter 4, end of chapter 3. Peter and John went back to their own people. They reported uh, all that the chief priests and the elders had said to them. And verse 24, when they, the church, the people that they live life with, heard this, they raised their voices together in prayer to God. What does the church do here? They turn to a spiritual practice. Sovereign Lord, You made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. You spoke by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of Your servant, our father David. Why do the nations rage and the people plot in vain? The kings of the earth rise up and the rulers band together against the Lord and against His anointed one. Verse 27, Indeed, Herod and Pontius Pilate met together with the Gentiles and the people of Israel in this city to conspire against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed. Verse 28, They did what your power and will had decided beforehand should happen. Now, Lord, consider their threats. And enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand and to heal and perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant Jesus. Verse 31, after they prayed this, the place where they were meeting was shaken. 
And they were filled with the Holy Spirit. And they spoke the Word of God boldly. Now I want to make a very simple point about Acts chapter 4, 23 through 31. Sometime in the future, I'll spend a whole lot more time here, but here's the simple point. When the church practice spiritual uh, prayer, their reaction was not, well, thank goodness Peter and John are okay. Let's build a wall and make sure we're safe from Pontius Pilate or whoever and the kings and the chief priests. They said, no, we will pray to God. And when they prayed, God showed up. And they were joined together in this moment. This is the making of the church. This is the beginning of how church comes together. That it's more than just what they wanted, it's what the Spirit brought to them through their spiritual practice. Don't forget verse 32. All the believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of their possessions was their own, but they shared everything they had. Now, how is that possible? It's only possible because they prayed together. Because their reaction was spiritual, not earthly. Because no one was asking, what do I want out of this? Out of their spiritual practice, out of their spiritual movement, out of their spiritual exercise came something new altogether that no one in this church could imagine before them. Out of their spiritual exercise, community was built because the Spirit of God was with them. And so I leave you with this this morning. I leave you with this idea and this question. How spiritual will this church be? Because it's entirely dependent on how we as people give, pray, and fast before God the Creator. I'm going to make myself available in the back of this cafeteria. Brent's going to lead us in one last song this morning. If I can help, if this church can help in any way, please come find me back in the cafeteria and sing this song. We're going to stand together, and if you don't find me this morning, I want to invite you to stand right where you are and ask yourself that very question, what is your, how is your spiritual life, and be in the presence of God, and be transformed by your spiritual practices in His presence. Let's stand together and let's sing.